Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you've got your Bibles today, go ahead and grab the uh, first book of the Bible in Genesis. We're going to start in the 21st chapter. We're in this series called Closer, uh, as Bobby mentioned earlier, and it's this concept that uh, we are all in this continuum of a circle where in the center of that circle is we're, we're closest in our relationship with God, and the further we get outside in these circles, the further away we are from God. Now, the recognition in a room like this or in the first service is that some of us are, are way outside that circle. Like, there, there are some folks watching online right now, and maybe you're, maybe you're way outside the circle, and you're saying, I have no relationship with God. Maybe you're here in the room, you say, I have no relationship with God. But then there, there are also this perspective that as we move closer to the center, we find ourselves closer and closer in having this meaningful, purposeful relationship with God, our Creator. And so what we find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible is that God really longs for, He really desires that He has a relationship with us that draws us closer to the center of the circle. And so, guys, if you can pull up that slide that kind of shows what these circles look like, then we'd be able to see that we, we kind of started off a few weeks ago talking about the crowds. And these were the folks that, that saw Jesus and what he did from a distance and thought to themselves, wow, what, what I see and what I hear, that is very cool. That's good. And, 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 but there are a lot of us, we kind of stay at that level. You know, we're just kind of at that crowd where we kind of see that God loves us. We see that, that God wants to have a relationship with us, but we, but we never really move anywhere further into the circle. We just kind of stay there. But then, then we kind of have another group that moves closer, and we call it the group of the 5,000, relate it to Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, where he, where he took five biscuits and two sardines and fed 5,000 men and a few thousand women and children and had a bunch of food left over. And they didn't just see it, they tasted it. It was faith that they saw, it was faith now that they tasted, they, they realized that, wait a minute, this is, this is different. What I saw became something that would provide for me. And then we made a quantum leap from the 5,000 to the 70 last week where faith now goes to work. So we started with faith sees, faith tastes, then it went, faith went to work. Wait a minute, I get to be a part of God's redemptive plan for this world, and I get to be a part of working in His plan. Every morning I wake up, God's waiting on me, and we get to go do very cool stuff. Now, today we make this huge quantum leap from the 70 to the 12. And the recognition is that the 12 are the 12 disciples that Jesus called to be a part of his work. And he said, I pick you that you would follow me so that you could go change the world. Now, the, the picture here is that Jesus walks along the seashore and he goes, he goes to the fishing company of Zebedee, Zebedee, and Zebedee. And he looks at Zebedee's boys and says, come follow me. And the Bible says immediately they dropped their net, they left the boat, and they left their dad, and they took off and followed Jesus. And you say, man, that is so cruel. They left Zebedee like in chapter 13. This is very uncool. And so the, the look, though, is why would they immediately do that? Because, you see, Jesus, as a first century rabbi, would have looked at a young boy and said, come follow me. And when a rabbi did that, he was saying, man, it's like drafting you into the NFL straight out of the fourth grade. You are the man. Right? So these boys are like, dude, they're all in. Right? So they leave, and immediately they take off. Well, Jesus asked 12 of these guys to go with them. Now, it was interesting. He picked some of the weirdest people on the planet. Like, he picked a tax collector, and he picked a zealot. A zealot's singular, singular job in life was to kill a tax collector. And Jesus picked these people, put them in the same team, and said, we're going to go change the world. 
And by the way, the, the, the guy on the team that had the best resume that we would have picked was Judas. I mean, we wouldn't have picked the other guys. I mean, the other guy, like, like Peter, he was like a rough cussing fisherman. You know, it's like, dude, I, I don't think you picked the right one on that one. You know, and, and Jesus was like, no, that's my boy. That's a rock. Look, look what's going to happen here. And so you got this perspective here that he calls the 12 to do something very unique with. So we go from faith sees, faith tastes, faith works, and today faith follows. And so out of the 70, the circle of 12 emerge. And we leave this observation and this participation, and now it is really about not what we do, but who we are. I mean, from the time we were little boys and little girls, what did we ask children? What do you want to be when you grow up? And then when we grow up, we go to a party where we don't know people, and you, invite, you, you, you say, hi, I'm Chuck, and what's the first thing they say? What do you do? Because, you see, our culture places so much importance on what we do, we forget that what Jesus cares about far more than what we do is who we are. More importantly, whose we are. And so he calls these 12, and the picture that I want to make sure you get in the New Testament here is that as Jesus calls the 12, he says, there's a price to pay when you follow me, but the return on that investment is unstinking believable. He says, the ROI on following me is always amazing. So at this circle, what matters most is no longer what he does for us, but that he walks with us. I mean, Jesus, when he says, come follow me, is not saying, hey, come get in line like kindergarten or grabbing the rope, going to the potty. He's not saying, hey, get in line like ducklings and fall behind me. What Jesus is saying is when he says, come follow me, is he saying, come on and let's live life together. When you go to the ball game, I want to go with you. When, you. when you hang out with the boys at the golf club, I want to go with you. When, you. when you play tennis, I want to go with you. When you go to school, I want to go with you. When you go to work, I want to go with you. What Jesus is saying when he says, come follow me, is I want to be involved in your whole life in everything that happens. Let me walk with you. Come follow me. One of my favorite TV shows these days is the, this Bear Grylls new uh, Running Wild show. And, uh, and so Bear takes these uh, celebrities, takes them out into the, into the middle of nowhere, and they jump out of helicopters and climb mountains and jump off mountains and eat worms and fish, fish eyeballs and all kind of weird stuff, right? right? And so the other day they had Tom Arnold on there. You talk about a guy who's got a messed up life. So they got Tom Arnold on there. He's been married 114 times. And he just really, guy's been addicted to everything on the planet. And, but but he's, really, he's really trying to get his act together, right? So you look at him and you say, man, how cool. This guy, you see the redemption story. You see all this coming together. And he, he's kind of bearing his soul in front of the television and how scared to death he is to go out there in the woods and do all this with Bear Grylls. And you can tell, he, I mean, he is scared to death. But he says three times in this show, he says, but I know I can do this because I trust that Bear's with me. Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. Come walk this journey. Come go be a part of all that I want you to do. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I've got you. He says, come on. Let's go on this ridiculous adventure and let's jump into the unknown, and let's go change the world. Come have a faith that follows. And so what happens is we come to this more uh, challenging circle of relationship that, that takes this, this role that's full of opportunity, but is also full of great cost. I mean, the fact is, if you're going to choose to follow Jesus, it is not going to be a road paved with roses. I have folks who say, man, if I follow Jesus, life's going to be a piece of cake. Not, not true. 
I mean, we find nothing in the Bible that supports that. If anything, we find the opposite. We find that difficulties are going to come. But it is who overcomes them that separates the pack. And so Jesus calls us to a great opportunity that has a huge return on investment, but there's a cost to that. And this call that Jesus gave to the 12 to follow me isn't like some day trip or tourist ride. Jesus called them to leave everything and follow him. They left their lives as they'd known it. I mean, they had left everything just to follow Jesus and be a part of whatever he was up to. So when we come to the 12, it represents the places of leaving all and following Jesus. I mean, it comes to a point where we leave and separate ourselves from our will and take on his. Where we're literally saying, if I'm going to follow you, I'm going to let you have everything. I'm going to let my will meld to yours, and I'm going to walk in participation with you. Whether it's my business, my marriage, my relationships, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to follow you because I know I can trust you. Now, therein lies the challenge. Bobby talked about fear a minute ago. There are a lot of us that just simply fear letting loose and letting, letting somebody else control our lives. I mean, there are some of us in this room, we are such incredible control freaks. It's like, I'm not even going to trust God with my life. I've, I've, I'm, I'm holding on to this. And, and the question I'd ask you is, how's that working for you? Because Jesus says, I, I, let, let, just follow me, come on. I mean, the circles of relationship that formed around the life and ministry of Jesus reveals something to us today about the opportunities we have to know and to walk with him. Growing closer to Jesus is what this whole Christianity thing is about, closer to him. When you read through the Gospels, it becomes clear that there's circles of people around Jesus as they grow closer. There's the crowds we see. There's the 5,000 we taste. I mean, there's, there's the 70 we serve. But then there's the 12, and it gets to this point of the 12 where we say, wait a minute, it's not just a faith that works. It's faith that follows. I'm all in. I know whose I am. It's not what I do now. It's about who I belong to. It's now just not who I am. It's whose I am. I belong to the one who, who paid the price that I might have life more abundantly here and eternally forever, a faith that's worth following. And so you get there and you think, wait a minute, when we get to letting go of our will and taking, care of, taking hold of his, then what is it that would motivate these folks to have a faith that follows? Well, the 12 were drawn to Jesus' journey. I mean, how cool is that, that in the journey with Jesus, they saw him do some amazing things. I mean, can you imagine walking with Jesus, a guy there cannot see, Jesus stops, gives him sight, you're walking with him, and what do you think? I mean, do you think the same thing that we think in much of our Sunday morning experience? Ah, okay, that's cool. A guy just could see. What, what, if, what, what if you were walking along with Jesus, and there's a funeral procession, and a mom is wailing because her little boy is in the, in the, in the coffin being cared carried by the people and jesus stops and he wraps on the on the on the coffin and says get up and the door flings open and the boy raises up do you just sit there and say eh, how about that i mean seriously you would have been totally teetotally freaked out i mean you would have been so bought in because you saw faith that led to a journey that said i've got to be a part of this i have got to be a part of this i cannot miss this Here's the thing that we've missed in our life. That same living, breathing Jesus 
calls us the same way to walk that journey and see that day after day after day. They, they were drawn to his journey, but they were drawn to a sense of belonging. All of a sudden, they were part of a family. They were part of something that was unique. They were part of something that was special. There's not a single person in this room that woke up this morning and thought to themselves, you know what, I can't wait to be lonely. There's not, and nobody, nobody woke up this morning. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There are people who come to this church the size we are, and they want to hide. I just want to get here. I want to sit. Don't ask me for anything. I don't want to be a part of anything. That whole group thing, Bobby, no thanks. I come here, and I'm invisible, and I'm good at it. Right? But, but the fact is, you don't want to be lonely. I don't care how introverted you are or how extroverted you are. Nobody wants to be lonely. It's the worst feeling in the world to be lonely. One of the greatest encouragements I can give you is when you know somebody who is lonely, reach out to them and encourage them. Because I promise you, they are everywhere. Love people that are lonely. They, they have a sense of belonging. I know people who are here this morning, and this was the only place this week that somebody loved them, touched them, cared for them, or gave a rip what they thought. You know what? When you come to the house of God, you ought to have a sense of family. As a matter of fact, listen to me, no matter where your friends are at, if you've got friends you play golf with, you've got friends you hunt with, you've got friends that you do some silly something like, I can't imagine scrapbooking, but those of you that might do that, I would rather have a shot of chlorine than scrapbook. And, but, but whatever you're into, right, whoever your friends are, listen, you know, you got to have church friends. You got to have folks that you count on. You got to have folks you know are there. You got to know that, like, when, when, when the world is down, there's a friend out there that calls the church and says they need help. Love them. They had a sense of belonging. But, you know, the third thing is they had all of a sudden God's will at work in their life. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a pretty stubborn human being. My, my, my ability to surrender my will to God's will is an ongoing battle. I mean, I'm, I'm a reverend. I'm, this is supposed to be easy for me. Could I just stop and say to you, it is not easy to surrender your will to God's, is it? Because God wakes up and says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to live like me today. And you know what I say? I really am not up to that today, God. God says, I need you to forgive that person. You know what I think? I want to knock the fool out of them, God. God says, you know what I need you to do? I need you to love that person. And you know what I think often? I hate their guts, God. You ever been there? You ever done that? Surrendering your will is not easy. These guys followed because suddenly they found there was a will that not only was more powerful than theirs, but it was better. The return was awesome. I'm all in. They looked at all that, and these 12 had the opportunity to experience something that we'll consider today, a faith that follows. I mean, let me ask you a question. What's the worst walk you've had in your life? I mean, what's, what's the worst walk you've ever had in your life? Maybe it was a walk into or out of a bankruptcy court. Maybe it was out of the job you got terminated from. Maybe it was out of the house that you lost. Maybe it was away from a relationship you didn't want to lose. Maybe it was out of a bank that said no. Could I, I could just go on, couldn't I? We've, we've all had them. We've all had them. I mean, throughout history, we find the, the, the walks 
in life that are pretty significant. I mean, you got General Patton's march toward Germany. You got the, the 54th Army from Massachusetts charging Fort Wagner in the Civil War, where we get the movie Glory from. We get Lewis and Clark's expedition to the journey west. In the Bible, you get Abraham and Isaac's mar ma march toward Mount Moriah. You got Joshua and Caleb scouting the promised land. You got Mary and Joseph walking to Bethlehem. You got the Lord Jesus on the Via Dolorosa carrying his cross to Calvary. You got Peter and John running to an empty tomb. I mean, maybe one of the best ways for us to consider the kind of faith journey Jesus was calling his disciples to is to consider one person God called in the Old Testament to have this ultimate sacrifice. Flip, if you will, over to Genesis 21. And in Genesis 21, beginning in verse 1, here's what we read. And the Lord visited Sarah, or if you're from South Georgia, Sarah, as, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken for sarah conceived and bore abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which god had spoken him so don't miss this kind of stop here and parenthetically say god promises abraham you're going to have descendants that are greater than the stars and greater than the specks of sand on the seashore and abraham's thinking but i have no children and god says i'm telling you i'm gonna give i'm gonna give you a son you wait and see For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. In verse 3, And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And now Abraham, listen to this, was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Oh, my stars. Can you imagine changing diapers at 100 years old? I'm at 54, and after three hours with my grandson, I am exhausted. That is a young man's game, is it not? I mean, you young moms, God bless you. We need to have Mother's Morning out for you three days a week just so you can breathe. That's hard work. A hundred years old, and God says, here's a baby boy. And this cat was happy about it. He's like, yes, God delivered. You know what I'd be thinking? God, take me. <laughs> and Sarah said, God has made me laugh. No kidding. And all who hear will laugh with me. You reckon, can you imagine what Jimmy Fallon would do with that? I mean, you talk about a monologue, he would have him something. I mean, he would, he'd let off on, on, on Chris Christie if you had that. I mean, he'd let off on Rob Ford if he had that. And she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. Listen, but the story of Abraham got to be a little funky, and it relates directly in the Old Testament to the calling of the 12 who surrendered it all. But to, but to understand that, we have to know what Abraham had. We have to understand it. What Abraham had was a son of promise named Isaac. God had promised him a son, and he gave him one, even in his old age. The long-awaited son came from God's provision in response to the faith that Abraham showed. So in other words, God was faithful because Abraham was faithful. And so Abraham, in his faith, God said, here's your boy. By the way, this is the same Abraham that God said, I want you to pick up and move. I don't, I'm not going to tell you where you're going. I just need you to pick up and move. To a person who never moved more than three miles away from where they were lived. And he picked up and he moved. And you know what God said of Abraham? That's my boy. He's my friend. Hey, folks, you want to put something on your spiritual resume? Let God said, you're my friend. You see the prerequisite, though? Obedience always starts it 
And it never ends without victory when obedience is there. Abraham started with obedience and a victory occurred. If you're saying, but I'm here today and I've got no hope, then start with obedience. What does God want from you today? What does he want you to live today? We'll remember what he had. But I don't want you to miss this. The long-awaited son came from God's provision in, in, in response to Abraham's faith. But in like manner, God also had something. God had someone. God had someone special, namely his own son, Jesus. I mean, the book of Hebrews describes this unusual faith that Abraham had. In Hebrews chapter 11, in, in verse 11, it says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, as he has, listen to this, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You know what that scripture says? Regardless of where you are right now, regardless of the circumstances you walked in this room with, God says, I got a plan for you and I will deliver. You can count on me. All you've got to do is choose. I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to display faith and God won't let me down. You got to know what he had. You know what he had? He had a son. He had only one son. He had a beloved son, but he had faith. But you also got to know what he heard. I mean, the Bible shows that Abraham's faith was uniquely connected to God's voice. God spoke to him, gave him direction, gave him promise, and Abraham was quick to obey. Now, now the, the disciples we see, they, they responded in a similar manner. What happens? The Bible says that they responded immediately. Now, Jesus called some other people outside the 12, and they hesitated. But when he called the 12, they were all in. They left their vocations or their nets behind, and while some hesitated, you know what we see? We see that those 12 displayed a faith that immediately follows. I mean, the Word of God, the Bible, is not just a written word. All right, now, if, if, you're, if you're writing notes about where you're going to eat lunch or, you're, or you are playing on your iPad right now, look right here. Okay, don't, don't miss it. If you miss this, you're going to miss one of the coolest things ever. All right? God never intended this book to just be a written word. He intended this book to be a spoken word. He didn't just mean that this was something you read. This was something you hear. This is something you live. This is something you feel. This is something you know. He never intended that this would just be a written word. The voice of God is alive and free. God's word in the Bible can have power not only because it corresponds to God's word, but to the universe. I mean, this Bible lines up not only with science, but proves it. It not only lines up with history, it proves it. It not only lines up with what the future will look like, it proves it. Look back over to Genesis chapter 22 now, uh, just at one chapter further, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Marty and Steve, we were right there just a few months ago when we were over in the, in the, in the, in the Holy Land. So Abraham rose early in the morning in verse 3 and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I'll go yonder and worship, and we'll come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son, 
And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham tied that boy down and was ready to light that fire, and he drew that knife up above to plunge into the heart of his only beloved son. And on his way down with that knife, an angel came and stopped the arm, and out of the corner of his eyesight and in his ear he heard bah and God had provided a ram and saved that little boy you say well that's really cool Chuck but what's the connection here God tested Abraham and he said Abraham and he said here I am take your son and sacrifice him we have to know what he handed over See, it's one thing to know what he had. It's another thing to know what he heard. We need to know what he handed over. You know what he handed over? He handed over his life, his hopes, his dreams, his treasure, his lineage, his legacy. He handed over his own son. Who could possibly ever estimate the worth of Abraham that he placed on his little boy Isaac? Who could ever place the worth that you have on your precious children? Who could ever place the worth on that? I know who. I know exactly who would best understand that moment who would best understand that sacrifice and that challenge, it was most certainly God the Father who sacrificed Jesus for you and for me. He understood. He knew what it was like. But there was a difference in God's sacrifice and Abraham's. Big difference. Abraham was willing to sacrifice. God did. Abraham was willing, but God did. God came through on that promise. He said, I am perfect and you're not. I'm holy and you're not. I am righteous and you're not. But I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. So I'm going to send Jesus and I'm going to let him die as a sacrifice for every sin, for everything you've ever done, every selfish thought, everything you've ever done. And we're going to be right because all you've got to do is trust him. And you look at, you look at our life now and you remember when Abraham raised that knife over Isaac, God sent that angel and he protected him and he guarded him. I'd ask you this question, what do you have? What do you have right now? I mean, Abraham had his own, own son. What do you have? You know what's interesting about how Jesus called the 12 and how Jesus called, or how God called Abraham? You know what's interesting? Jesus called those 12 right where they were. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't go to Zebedee's boat and say, hey, dude, listen, if you'll go home and shower and cut your hair and wear the right kind of clothes, come on and follow me. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, I'll tell you what, man, if, you, if you'll get rid of that piercing and you'll laser off that tattoo, you come on, I'll, you can follow me. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, dude, listen, if, if you'll give up this and if you'll give up that, you, can, you know what he said? He, he looked at them, a bunch of normal kids, he said, come follow me. He looked at people with messed up lives and he said, come follow me. What are we going to do? We're, we're going to go fish for men. I don't understand what that means. We're going to go change the world. You know what you have? You have Jesus who comes to you right where you're at. And he says, I love you. you. But what have you heard? What are the challenges and opportunities you sense that God's placed before you? What have you heard? You know what you've heard straight from this word? You've heard that God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You've heard that Jesus came and gave his life for you. You've heard that life abundantly, more today and eternally forever, is yours. You say, well, I've heard that. What do I do about it? Well, it's pretty simple. Jesus, I need you and I love you. And I accept you're dying for me and raising for me as payment for all my mess. And I want to live for you. 
And you say, well, who do I tell that to? God. You say, well, how, how do I talk to him? All right, you ready? Watch this. Jesus, forgive me my sin. I know I've messed up. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And I accept all that stuff you did for me as payment for my sin. Thank you. And I love you. I want to live for you. You say, Chuck, it can't be that easy, you know? Ask yourself, what do you have? Jesus comes to you right where you're at. What have you heard? That he says, I'll take you just the way you are. But you know what else? You know what you got to hand over? You got to hand over you. You got to hand over you. We make a big deal about these groups. When you hand over you, you know what it really means? It's kind of like when people start going into a group and they get into a group. Suddenly they find people, but more importantly, they grow closer and closer in that circle. They find more and more reason to get closer to that circle because they've handed over them and they've accepted Christ. They've accepted a life that I want to grow to become more like him. They've accepted this, this challenge to grow closer to him. You say, well, well, what do you have? You have the Savior of the world who comes to you right where you're at right now and says, I love you. I want you to come follow me. And some of you are sitting there saying, Chuck, there is no way God will take me the way I am right now. Listen. According to a God who cannot lie, yeah, he will. Just the way you are right now. He says, come on, I'll take you. All you got to do is say, thank you. I trust you. I want to take you as my Lord, my Savior. What do you have? You have Jesus that comes to you. What have you heard? You've heard that he said, if you'll call on his name, he'll hear you and he'll answer you and he'll welcome you into his family and give you a sense of belonging and purpose. But yeah, but, yeah, but what, what do I have to hand over? Are you ready? You got to hand over control of your life and say, Jesus, it's yours. You take it from here. And you know what happens when you do that? You start finding a group like that and you say, I want to grow up. Because Jesus will meet you where you're at, but he'll never leave you the way you are. He'll put you in a place where he wants more from you and he'll call you out onto the water and you'll step out and by faith, he'll radically change your life. Today, my prayer is, You'd allow that Jesus to do that very thing. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you that in this time you would draw us near the cross. You'd draw us to the cross and we would, we would know you and hear you and live for you. And God, we'd recognize what we have, a Savior who is drawn near to us, calling us to himself. We'd recognize what we've heard, a God that loves us and accepts us where we are, but a God who loves us way too much to leave us where we're at. And he wants us to follow him, not just to be a fan of him, but to follow him. Not just to see him from a distance, not just to receive stuff from him, not just to do stuff, but to live with him and walk with him and know him and to have this intimate relationship that's built on faith and trust and built on the recognition that, God, you first loved us. For without you, there is no love. Today, we surrender all. Draw us near to you. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray these things. Amen, amen, and amen.